Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. So the president said he's ready to go with $500 billion in new tariffs on Chinese goods imported to the United States, saying the country has been taken advantage of for too long. He told CNBC, I'm not doing this for politics. I'm doing this to do the right thing for our country. Joining us here in New York is Jerome Schneider, PIMCO head of short-term portfolio manager. Um, great to have you with us, Jerome. And honestly, I don't know where to begin. Do you start with the tariffs? Do you start with the White House pushing back against higher rates, a stronger dollar? What gets your attention? Yeah, you recognize the fact that you know there's a lot of uncertainty in the marketplace. It leads a lot to potential volatility, although we're not seeing it as realized volatility in the marketplace, most importantly. Um, I think really what you have to think about is the messaging and, and taking a big step back, You know, even looking at some of the testimony that we saw from Powell recently, that's actually probably the most important noteworthy thing because the other segments are, are really a little bit noise, but it's going to take longer to play out. The tariffs, while there's good headlines to talk about, the reality is the impacts of that are going to take quite some time. Um, so we could be on the entire side of let, being a left tail event of on the tariffs and having an entirely damaging sequence where it's a you know 1.5% hit to GDP and a, and a half yeah. percent increase to inflation. But the reality is, most importantly, that the rate hiking sequence remains right. intact and, and that at least for now, as Jerome Powell puts it, the best way forward is to continue to acknowledge an improving economy, which, by the way, is what President Trump is is defectively acknowledging and, and keeps beating the drum to along the yeah. way. And John, as you captured correctly, there's two ways. One is a 500 billion number. But the other was to fit it and to say the president wants to put tariffs on every Chinese good yeah. imported, which the math comes out to 505. Mike Allen and others have made that nuance. I mean, basically, he wants to go after it all. Am I right on that, John? Pretty, pretty much everything, yeah. if the numbers are anything to go by this morning. Jerome, I think it's best to sort of separate this into three parts and ask a really basic question. Where does the president have authority on trade to slap 500 to slap tariffs on 500 billion dollars worth of imports um, on rates and on the dollar? We've had three comments on three different issues. The president, I would argue, has authority, of course, to execute the tariffs on uh, Chinese imports. Um, he can put the pressure on the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve doesn't have to respond. And it's interesting, the comments on foreign exchange, because you just wonder how much he can actually do that. Well, uh, jawboning's everything in that regard. So there's a certain amount of jawboning that the administration and even and even some persuasion that the uh, monetary policy officials, the Fed, could potentially do along the way. Uh, ultimately, you're right. The tariffs are the, his main lever at this point in time and to carry the message. And, and by the way, he still has a good amount of support uh, on the tariff, uh, on the impact of tariffs and moving that forward, that messaging forward from Congress itself. It doesn't seem to be damaging, although the facts from reading newspaper articles, seeing uh, companies like Whirlpool, how it's impacting them on the real time, yeah. uh, is actually probably going to become to be a little bit more uh, important to the discussion over the over the next few weeks and months. Later in the program, we're going to talk about the importance of central bank independence. With you, I just want to talk about the market impact. When the president pushes back against higher rates, have we seen any impact in the Treasury market, in the implied probability of a Fed rate hike later this year? Have we seen any movement at all? Does the market buy it? Well, the knee-jerk reaction was clearly yes. 
But as we come into this into today, we're seeing a muted yawn saying no. Um, when you take a step back, most people are aware that while the Fed uh, is is independent in, in theory, structurally, um, there, it's very difficult to change a Fed governor and, and Fed officials. Um, you have to have four cause to do that. But the important thing here is, is that the messaging, the dislike of, of, of the higher rates really, uh, really isn't going to weigh on Jerome Powell. He's made it clear he needs more ammunition to effectively cut rates to fight the next recession. And, and that's ultimately right. going to be more powerful to the president should we encounter a, a recessionary environment uh, to, to preserve right. his, his credibility. I'm sure the president absolutely nailed microeconomics, macroeconomics, and Red Fabozzi cover to cover like you did uh, when he was at Wharton. Uh, if you, we assume that he did not quite get through the classic Fabozzi text, folks, I'm going to guess 650 pages. Who's going to inform him of the ramifications? Is it Kevin Hassett? Is it David Melpass? Is it Mr. Kudlow? Who's going to inform a president about Schneider 101? Well, I mean, you probably had a few people squirming in their seat internally yesterday. Probably. And Kudlow is probably at the lead of the pack. So there's probably uh, a discussion that has probably had that is about the ramifications of, of making such comments. Um, but what's sort of amazing to me is that recognize that the Fed is, is do, simply reacting to the strong economy that the Fed, that the yeah. president has has proclaimed and, and keeps announcing is so strong. And, and so it, it's actually a, a result of the strong economy that we have that the Fed is going to continue to uh, yeah. on this path. So but let's be clear here. Let's be clear here. This was Larry Kudlow. This is where it started a couple of weeks ago with Larry yes, Kudlow this is in true. an interview with Fox Business. This hasn't started with the president. Tangentially, the president was a lot more direct. Uh, Larry Kudlow was hardly very nuanced, was he? The economic advisor to the president when he basically Fair. came out and said that I hope the Federal Reserve understands that the increase in growth will not be inflationary. You okay, know, but, that's, that's hardly okay, nuanced, but, is it? You know, the banner's right he up now. He said that for 20 years, though. Yeah. But, but Jerome, the banner's <laughs> up right now. You're going to give our audience a clinic. We're going to let Joe Kernan make the headlines. Uh, the president says, I'm not thrilled by higher interest rates. Would you explain to our audience the nominal interest rate right now versus the importance of the real interest rate? And we'll assume the president's listening in. Yeah, so ultimately, the nominal interest rate is right now with a benchmark rate between 1.75 and 2%, and, and recognize the fact that we've gone another 175 basis points uh, from zero. What's really important here is the ramifications of getting to the neutral rate, or effectively what we believe is closer to you know a 1% real rate in terms of inflation. So An inflation-adjusted in, inflation rate, rate, 1%. We're not there. We're not there. And, and so the Fed, from a few different perspectives, and that's one of them. The second is clearly um, is clearly getting the inflation rate, which is a factor that right. higher than two percent PCE. Um, it, it ultimately translates to where the destination of normal uh, normal nominal interest rate policy is going to be. So, from our perspective, it's probably at least another three to four rate hikes over yeah. the cycle to get to that point. The Fed would actually say more. Remember, they they still proclaim three point four percent is the nominal rate terminal destination uh, of this rate hiking cycle. So, we got still room. accommodative. To, is it still accommodated the, to get the to that Fed point? seems to be still accommodated yeah, right I mean, now. Well, they would say yes because, A, inflation is not so high, and, B, financial conditions haven't really changed that much over the past two to three years. There's, yeah. of course, it's some blips, but they're really paying attention to financial conditions along the well, way to, to be a signal, to be a barometer of how tight things are. Um, and, right. and at this point, it's, it's, it's a yawn. We, we're going to set the hour here uh, in the rest of surveillance through the morning, Jerome, right now. So we say thank you for coming.
Greg Vallier published out moments ago on this sequence of discussion of Fed independence and says the damage has been done. Joining us uh, with Diane Swank, uh, with Grant Thornton, as we speak on this moment in monetary uh, theory and dystheory. Um, Diane, uh, Milton Friedman of Chicago said he literally got into economics because of a guy at Rutgers named Arthur Burns, that Arthur Burns <laughs> literally changed Milton Friedman's life. Mr. Burns ran into a guy named Richard Nixon and in April of 1960 had to vault forward to Fed chairman eight years later in 68 and put up with a lot of Nixonian angst. Are we going to see that again? We can only hope not. We know where that went, and that Nixonian angst for all my admiration for Chairman Greenspan was delivered by yet another person Arthur Burns mentored, and that was Alan Greenspan as well. He delivered the message from the administration to stimulate to ensure his re- Nixon's reelection in 1972, which helped to seed the stagflation of the 1970s. There were a lot of things we did wrong back then, including protectionism, wage and price controls, that all helped on that front in overstimulating the U.S. economy in the latter part of the 1960s with the Vietnam War. It's hard. This is hard. This is something that almost every administration I've known has at some point in time been angry with the Fed. Okay, but I'll I'll agree with that. Diane, I totally take your point that every administration goes through this, but there's a difference this time. But there's a difference this time in the sequence of discourse of this president. How damaging will it be, not with one Cudlow's comment, two Trump's comment, but the three, the fourth, the seventh, the eighth statement is rates go up, as you predict? Well, you know, I actually think that uh, Jay Powell has anticipated this. I agree with Greg. I read his note as well. I think the world of Greg, too. And I do think that Jay Powell will navigate this as he must in the most independent way that he can. I think what's important to remember about all this as well is that the the appointments that we got in the Fed prior to this, which were um, really the hand of Gary Cohn, who's now left the administration, are independent members of the Fed. Other times we suffered through this kinds of crisis of independence within the Fed. We've also had weak um, people around the Fed chairman that couldn't help them navigate those more turbulent yeah. waters. And I think now we do have a lot of people that are very committed to the independence of the Fed to be able to help that happen. Diane, perhaps too early to call it a crisis of Federal Reserve independence, but typically when uh, the Federal Reserve's independence is stepped on, it's typically an era of crisis. I mean, it's not when GDP is close to 3% and inflation's low and unemployment's low and everything seems to be okay, which just gives you a sort of a question in my own mind, whether this could get a whole lot worse over the next couple of years if the economy isn't performing uh, the way this administration would like. Uh, yes. I mean, this is already the Fed has been a, pinata, a political pinata since 2008 when it intervened to try to help the U.S. economy became an easy scapegoat. And its attacks on its independence are both are bipartisan in nature. So the Fed is in a much more precarious situation than it has been in the past. And let's go back to the 1940s. You went back to Arthur Burns, Tom, but the 1940s, you know, the Fed was pushed to print money to pay for World War II. We ended up with double-digit inflation and recessions. And Truman's own, what he thought, loyalist to become the head of the Fed became the one who defined the Fed's independence and defied Truman and helped us immensely, but also someone who got Nixon very 
angry very early on in his political career. John, that's important. I don't mean to cut you off, but I think it's important what Dr. Swank says there, which is the idea, boy, it was bad before 1951. Oh, yeah. It was a mess. But even after 1951, to Diane's point, even after they appointed McChesney Martin, there was still tension between Truman and The man who famously him. said that his job was to take the punch bowl away from the yeah. party. Diane, when <laughs> did things... We, we don't do that. Excuse me, Miss Swank. We don't do that on surveillance. It's, it's, we don't allow that. It's interesting, Tom, that we had Paul Tucker on a couple of months ago, the former Bank of England official. Please, yes. And Paul really pointed out in his new book, Unelected Power, that we now have the third pillar of unelected power. The military, the judiciary, and now the Federal Reserve, central banks, monetary policy. And within that pillar, the trilemma, these challenges, Diane Swank, Arthur Burns didn't have to worry about Twitter or the speed of cable news. I, I mean, he had a pipe and he was smoking it, and every fourth week they put out three adjectives. I mean, it's changed, they right? His entire career. Yeah. They threatened his entire career. They leaked out a story saying he was asking for triple his salary, which he was not, in order to get him thrown out as chair of the Federal Reserve. Um, they threatened it, and it went through the newspapers, and they used the news to leverage that leverage against yeah. them. That said, I think it's really worth stating and restating right now, for all of the noise we've seen, and I'm very concerned about tariffs and independence of the Fed, it has become just that noise that we almost tune out. The financial markets have not reacted nearly as dramatically as one would expect if yeah. they really believed every single tweet that was tweeted about oh. economic policy. Dan Swank, thank you so much for the Michigan history lesson. This is what you do, John, when you get three degrees from the University of Michigan. You, you, she's steeped in history. That was a steeped, lovely, that I was say. a really, really nice sort of historical yeah, analysis in, of Federal Reserve independence. In, a few minutes now, our interview of the day, Adam Posen of uh, the Peterson Institute, of course, Dr. Posen with public service, uh, among other things, to the Bank of England. Here's what you need to know. Stanley Fisher, 2015, he says, shut up and read Adam Posen. Declarations are not enough. Financial sector sources of central bank independence. This with Bernanke and Rotenberg of a few years ago. Dr. Posen, wonderful to have you with us. What is President Trump stumbling into? Well, Tom, thank you so much for the introduction and the time. I, I, I don't think he's stumbling. I, I think it's one of two things that are very conscious, but we don't know which one yet. Either President Trump is just venting and treating the Fed as a scapegoat and putting down just sort of a political marker not to be blamed for any slowdown. And that, frankly, doesn't get me that upset. I, I'm not one of these people who thinks that if the president breathes anything against the Fed, the, the world will come to an end. The risk is that this is actually the start of a Nixonian campaign trying to do to the Fed what the uh, Nixon White House did to Arthur Burns' Fed 40 years ago. I think that's unlikely, and I think Jay Powell and the current Fed, Chair Powell and the current Fed are less vulnerable than Arthur Burns' Fed was. But given the way this White House has behaved in other areas, right. you have to be worried about that. What do you need about the adults in the White House who have studied the Posen equivalent? What do you need from Kudlow, Hassett, Malpass, and the rest? What do they need to do to message to their president? Well, I think the first message has to be if, if your goal is to 
keep rates from going up unduly. And there is a legitimate economic case uh, for the Fed not to be too aggressive in raising rates, that this is the surest way to make sure they raise rates. You know, if you challenge their independence, um, then they will need a absolutely airtight, hugely visible, perfect high bar case uh, to stop raising rates on schedule. You're making it harder for them. And I think I'm sure the adults you mentioned, or at least some subset of them, have to be saying that to the president. Adam, you've been at a central bank. You've sat on the Monetary Policy Committee at the Bank of England. I'm just wondering, did you ever come across anything like this? And walk me through the kind of logistical process of how a central bank absorbs that kind of comment that we got from the president. Well, I, actually, yes. I mean, we did we did get some of this from the from uh, both formally and informally from both Labour and Conservative governments who were busy saying, why aren't you doing more on QE um, and, uh, in 2009, 2010? And, of course, complaining to me about that was a little bit weird because I was the one pushing for it. Um, <laughs> but, <coughs> pardon me, um, but, you know, the, the, the bank largely shrugged it off. And, again, to be fair to the British government, we had repeated indemnities from the um, – from the Chancellor of the Exchequer, the Treasury, saying that if the if the Bank of England lost money doing something for monetary policy, they would make it up. And this was true. ECB, of course, is even more independent. It's protected by treaty. And so you see a lot more scapegoating. You see government officials excuse me, talk saying things to the ECB quite frequently when the ECB gets upset, but then ignores them. Mm-hmm. The, Fed is, if the Fed is different because it doesn't have that kind of indemnity. It doesn't have... Uh, the protections the ECB does being in an international treaty. It's the Federal Reserve Act can be reopened at any time by Congress. Right. So ultimately, the fear is Congress gets its its uh, its attitude towards the Fed, not the president. Right. Uh, Adam, in, in a final comment here, Michael Bordeaux did a wonderful treatment on a giant Alan Meltzer after uh, Meltzer's death at the Hoover Institution and goes back to McChesney Martin and the idea that Martin wasn't a Ph.D. economist like Adam Posen. Is part of this discussion here and that Trump's lecturing a non-Ph.D. economist, is that the delicacy we're going to be talking about one year out? No, Tom, I, I, I really don't think so because it could because first uh, chair powell knows his brief um and you know there are a lot of non-phd economists who've served well in central banks so I, I as much as i like having a union card i would never i don't i don't think that's going to be an issue but secondly more importantly if you're attacking the fed from a populist perspective and saying okay you're raising rates too fast and again there may be legitimate reason for doing that i would say um you don't do it by being a snob. You don't do it by saying, oh, this person isn't isn't sufficiently uh, academic. You do it by saying they're out of touch. Mm-hmm. And so they're probably just going to paint Powell as a Fed insider if they decide to make it personal, uh, not so much right. that academic, non-academic. Well, a window into uh, the battle to come. This is most interesting. Adam Posen on short notice. Thank you so much for joining us with the Peterson uh, Institute.
Folks, markets crash right now. Crash is the right word. We're down on an intraday basis, solid two standard deviations. I'm looking always when this occurs, folks. Dollar yen is the global litmus paper of the system. We have been 113 in the weak yen, strong dollar environment. We came down to 112 and change off of the CNBC Joe Kernan effort. And now with the president's treat, we have a stronger yen down to breaching 112, down to 111.95. The DXY blended index Gives way gold up four dollars. Futures at negative six. Dow futures negative one hundred five. The president tweets: China, the European Union, and others have been manipulating their currencies and interest rates lower, while the United States is raising rates, while the dollars get stronger and stronger with each passing day, taking away our big competitive edge as usual. Not a level playing field. Dot, 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 which using in Trumpian tweeting presumes another tweet is to follow. We do not see that yet if it attends. Our Michael McKee will join us here in a bit. First, Jane Foley off the Rabobank desk in London. Jane, when you see an inflammatory market-moving phrase with DXY finding a new weakness right now, when the president of the United States says China and the EU have been, quote, manipulating their currencies, what do you tell Rabobank clients? Well, I mean, I think for most of our clients do understand that the euro certainly is a freely floating currency. It hasn't been uh, manipulated in, in, in terms of FX intervention. But China, of course, is a, is a different case. Uh, this is a currency which is managed. But uh, the fact of the matter is, if the, uh, the PBOC stepped away from managing it, it is a currency which would fall. It is a currency from where there would be an awful lot of outflow. So they are manipulating it, but they're manipulating it to keep it stronger than it would be otherwise. And, and this is something which is very well known. So these, the, the, the fact about the Chinese economy or the currency is, is not particularly surprising. But what is shocking markets right now is the fact that the president is getting involved on, on, on policies, on matters regarding monetary policy in the U.S. Now, this is pretty unprecedented, at least it has been for, for decades, and it could undermine the credibility of the, the Federal Reserve in, in the U.S. Right. This is something which is really quite worrying. Jane, away from your remit on foreign exchange, and folks will touch on this with Michael McKee in a moment, the second uh, parenthetical phrase, while the U.S. is raising rates... Is that against the Fed, or is he talking about a Make America Great Again 4% GDP economy? Well, it's widely known that, that, that Trump would like the, the dollar to, to, to be soft because he wants to increase the, the U.S. exports, and he wants to uh, redress the U.S. trade um, uh, deficit. However, the Federal Reserve, as we all know, is, is raising interest rates because the U.S. economy is so firm, and that, and that we, we've had boosts in the fiscal front. We've had uh, really quite strong growth in, in the U.S., and, and, and the risks are that you know, inflation are tilted to the upside, hence the Fed hikes interest rates. So what the Fed is doing is its job is doing the job that it's supposed to do. Um, uh, uh, monetary conditions in, in the U.S. Are, are not overly bearing. They're not overly expensive compared with uh, growth. Um, and, and so it is unusual to have a president uh, really criticizing um, right. the central bank. And, and, and this is something, I mean, there's been a debate over the last few weeks as to whether or not the, the, the dollar has become the new safe haven. But when you, start, you see a central bank being undermined, then that removes these, the, the credibility, really, of, of a currency. Jane 
Foley, thank you so much with Rabobank this morning. We turn to our international head of economics and policy, Michael McKee. What an extraordinary treat, Michael, to see. Now, you said earlier that it is presidential jawboning, but will have little effect on the Federal Reserve System. And yet, the, what's it's interesting, Mike, about economics, according to President Trump, is he uses foreign exchange links it to interest rates, I guess in a Fisherian uh, section. We've just got another tweet out, I'm told. Yes, here's the follow-up. Let me read this, Michael. I'm sorry to interrupt this thought. So we, as usual, not a level playing field. The United States should not be penalized because we are doing so well. Tightening now hurts all that we have done. The U.S. should be allowed to recapture what was lost due to illegal currency manipulation and all capital letters, B-A-D, bad, trade deals, debt coming due, and we are raising rates, really. Mike, I'm going to give you a really, really important question. Discuss. <laughs> All right, well, let me start with a surveillance correction. I said earlier today that the president gave the answer that every president would give if he were asked the leading question. And you, you're wrong. No, I was apparently <laughs> wrong. He did want to go after the Fed. Um I stand by what I said earlier. The Fed, this will not affect what Jay Powell and the rest of the Fed do. They will resist all the political pressure for for one reason, Arthur Burns. Nobody wants to have that reputation when they leave the Fed. And yeah. Jay Powell might not get reappointed. He can't, he can't be kicked off the Fed, but he might not get reappointed. I assume he would take that risk. Um, the yeah. logic in this is the economics in what the president is saying he didn't learn this at is, Wharton. is all wrong. Um, the we didn't lose it's, money. To be there clear, there it's not in Rosen's to, microeconomics. Right. It's not it's, in Bernanke, Abel Bernanke. And, and and as Jane said so well, the Fed is raising rates because the U.S. economy is doing so well. And then one of the reasons growth is so high is the tax yeah. bill that the president passed. Yeah. But the president can do something about currencies when he isn't going to be able to affect the Fed. Yeah, the yen so, out to 111.83. So there's where yen. there's a market threat. The president could do something to affect the value of currencies. And I guess you look at the charts, he's doing it right now. Yeah, he's doing it right now. And I don't have a standard deviation move, but for those of you on uh, pros on global Wall Street, uh, it's, it's a sizable move. Within this, Mike, is an idea of how institutions react. Let's begin with currency manipulation. The United States of America has an adult process of gauging and measuring other nations' concern, currency manipulation. Has EU, has China manipulated currencies, according to our smartest people? Well, the Treasury puts out a report quarterly on whether or not, uh, or, or every half year, on whether or not uh, countries have manipulated their currencies, and they haven't found anybody over the last 20 years, since I believe um, the 1990s, when uh, 1994, when China... Um, pegged its currency to the dollar. Uh, nobody has uh, been accused of manipulating their currency. Uh, as Jane says, everybody knows the Chinese manipulate their currency because it's a pegged currency. It's pegged to the dollar. It's also pegged to a basket of foreign currencies. So they do uh, buy and sell dollars in order uh, through treasuries in order to keep the value of the yuan relatively stable against the dollar. The euro, as she said, a free-floating currency. The yeah. dollar, a free-floating currency. Those are not managed. You can intervene in the currency market, but they're not managed. And the, the Chinese yuan is, right. by most measures, overvalued at this point. Explain to our audience, and this is not Stanley Fisher, spelled a different way, but the Fisherian linkage, which the president attempts 
of Irving Fisher of three generations ago. I'm going to guess 1920 off the top of my head. The president links currency to interest rates to his make America great again economy. That's a valid assumption, isn't it? They're all linked together. Well, sure. Uh, Currency's value helps determine the cost of your goods that you sell overseas. And as the dollar goes up, it makes American products less competitive. Boeing jets become less competitive. That's a bad example in the sense that there's only two jet makers out there. So uh, of any consequence. It's Friday. Stay with me here. (laughs) So if you want to pick something else, um, I give you a good example. Washing machines. Um, Chinese have a lot of washing machines that they yeah. try to sell. Uh, and we have seen price increases on U.S. washing machines because the president put tariffs on Chinese washing machines. So there is an impact uh, f- from all of this, and the president's not wrong about that. Interest rates, though, follow the economy and inflation. They don't lead it. So the fact that interest rates are going yeah. up is, is because our economy is doing better. One final quick question. The president says the United States should not be penalized. Who's penalizing us? Well, he's talking about it in economic terms because we lose ground on exports because the dollar is stronger. Um, but we didn't. The, the bill is not coming due. It's a choice we make to buy foreign goods because we don't save okay. them. I promise, Mike, I'll do a chart on relative strength of the U.S. <laughs> well, I'm dollar. waiting for the, uh, the, the uh, how my, many deviations uh, Michael we're McKee off. Michael McKee holding a clinic here on uh, the micro and macroeconomics of presidential tweets. Right now, yen stronger, 111.81. We've come a huge, huge two big figures uh, in the last two days from 113.11 down to 112.11, down to 111.82 right now. Pim, your thoughts on the presidential tweets? Well, I guess the only thing I would just say is that uh, market moving news coming from the president, that he does show the power of the president. Yeah, the power. And. You know, right. uh, depending upon which side of the trade right. you are, uh, you've got to recognize that this is a right. president that is going to do unconventional things. And I think that our next guest, uh, Vince Signorella, knows a lot about He knows a lot about happens. this. He's been long dollar, short yen, and he just ruined his <laughs> August vacation. Here, how much blood, Vince, you're Bloomberg, in Bloomberg, uh, but and- how much agony is on the street as the president pushes against strong dollar consensus? This is nasty because you can't get out of the way of this at all. I mean, this is like, you know, quick, machine-driven, done. One minute you're looking at dollar yen at 112 and 50 or so, and the next minute it's 111.80. What do you mean by machine-driven if the president tweets two tweets including the phrase currency manipulation you, you've got you know you got high frequency funds are tied to what Trump says and every syllable is is you know gets a, 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 a one or an O in front of it and it triggers an actual buy sell solution so if he says something about the dollar we know that's negative immediately it's a dollar sell solution. on a Haikian basis is a president doing a public service by clearing the markets by clearing the fat cats out no not really these aren't fat cats these are everyday guys who are probably just getting run over to be honest why is anybody surprised? The, the thing actually that surprises me and what the markets aren't picking up is that, you know, while he's making broad dollar gestures, he's, you know, he's, he's shooting the big cannon, but what he's aiming at is China. And this is specifically directed, if, and it will be, I believe, cleared up down the road, uh, against the UN and against China. This isn't being directed specifically at the Mexican peso or the Canadian dollar at the moment. This is largely driven 
by what's going on in China, but he's he's painting it with a wide brush because he does believe we are being un- undermined by other countries as well in trade. He was after the European Union the other day, but what he's really looking at when he looks at the European Union, he's looking at Germany. But you can't go after Germany because it's a single currency, so you look at the whole union. So you have to try to parse where he's really going with this. And at the end of the day, where he really wants to bang is China. Vince, thank you so much. Vince Cigarella thank with you. us. He needs to get back to uh, his terminal to look at the waves down in Japanese yen. The news flow is absolutely extraordinary. Margaret Brennan, of course, is conversant in currency manipulation, but I doubt that will be mentioned on Face the Nation this week, pushed aside on CBS by uh, the news flow. Are you going to play the church lady from SNL, Margaret? Are you going to you know, bring up Dana Carvey in the video of the church lady? That's special off of Mr. Coates' <laughs> comments yesterday. Gosh, I mean, that was fascinating to watch. He appeared gobsmacked. I mean, he just, and I don't know. I mean, he's not someone involved in protocol with planning a state visit, but if the president did meet for as long as he did with Vladimir Putin on Monday, uh, talking about such national security issues, you would have thought by then he would have been debriefed. CBS has a heritage of this. I did a play today, Margaret, on Khrushchev banging his shoe in middle October of 1960, how will you study this historically on Face the Nation this weekend? If we have a Trump-Putin visit at the White House, how will you treat that looking back? Well, I think it's important to frame it in terms of trying to take the political filter off to the extent we can and put at least what the president says it's about, national security interests. That's usually what you meet with an adversary about diplomacy and trying to further what you uh, both want to get done, even though you have big differences. And all the things the president said it was about, a nuclear arms control deal, a breakthrough in Syria, pushing back on Iran's presence in Syria. We haven't seen any breakthroughs on any of those things. No agreements. And in fact, the White House says the only agreement was the agreement to meet again. So I think judging them by the own own bar they set for themselves is kind of where I begin my reporting. If Vladimir Putin says yes to this invitation and comes to the Oval Office in the fall, I think that definitely has to be pushed farther here, that this is not um, just a a, a tea party. This actually needs to be deliverable to the American people. And, 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 And Margaret Pym goes exactly to what my image was yesterday, which is Mr. Putin standing in the Oval Office. Is that possible? And that, well, it, it is deeply insulting to those in the, in the intelligence yeah. community who felt that the president was picking him over them. Um, but when it comes to diplomats, they would say you only give a reward for good behavior. Um, and we haven't seen that yet from Russia. Russia right now is violating the deal that they made with President Trump in Syria. So we're not hearing the president call them out for violating that Trump deal, uh, that that so-called safe zone area in southwest Syria. It, it's just it's interesting to see um, how the right. president can justify that. Margaret, uh, any uh, thoughts or any uh, information about where is John Kelly, chief of staff? He, he, well, the, the chief of staff was there in Helsinki, and he was there in that bilateral meeting that came um, after the one-on-one between the two leaders. So he is in the room. He appears to be more on the sidelines, though. 
Margaret Brennan, thank you so much. I look forward to Face the Nation. No doubt it will be a three-hour show uh, this Sunday. You can hear Margaret Brennan this weekend, of course, on Bloomberg Radio. See her on CBS. Listen to Face the Nation Sunday at 2 p.m. in New York, Washington, D.C. And now Bloomberg 1061 uh, Boston Newbury Report. That's Face the Nation this Sunday, 2 p.m. on Bloomberg Radio and, of course, on CBS uh, Sunday morning. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.